Our scripture reading today comes from John 1, 35-51. And it reads, The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. Uh, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under a fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's Word. Good morning. Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, continuing our study in the book of John. So I thought about this week's Scripture, you're going to think there are so many ideas and theories and a million books on Christian discipleship, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to actively follow him. There's some good stuff out there and some bad stuff out there, some healthy stuff and unhealthy. But I hope that today we can understand more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus by looking at Jesus' very first class of disciples. Last week we looked at John the Baptist and how he prepared people for Jesus' coming as God's Savior. And so it has worked and, and some of John's disciples or students have now become Jesus' new disciples. And if we were to trend with John the Baptist's work and then what what that led to, we would have to say that followers of Jesus are called, are called to follow Jesus. First by John the Baptist and his pointing the way, and and then, of course, accepted and, and called by Jesus himself to follow him. So following Jesus, being a disciple of his, is him calling people to get truth, calling people to be 
under a new authority and calling people to be righteous and to worship God. Truth, authority, righteousness, and worship. The word discipleship itself means student. And so when we think about and see what it means to be a follower, follower of, or disciple of Jesus, it initially for many and some is about coming and getting the truth to be taught about life and about faith. Look with me again at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples of his disciples, John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and and saw them following, said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. They literally, the scripture is, is not like trying to make a, a, you know, a picture here of what it sort of looked like later when they followed Jesus. No, they literally, when John says, behold the Lamb of God, they literally begin to follow behind him, to, to walk behind him, and, and, then, and then go to his home. Back then, the way you became and acted like a disciple of a certain teacher was to follow behind, actually walk behind as a crew, behind the de- one designated as the teacher. They're declaring by walking behind Jesus, they want to follow him. They want to, be, they want to learn. They want to be trained to, to take mental and observational cues and, and notes on what and then ask and learn why he and, and they should do what they do to take notes on how he, Jesus, interacted with and addresses and judges this world and the people in this world. They want to know what it means to live this life like a God follower who, at the very least, Jesus Christ is. Maybe not the Messiah or anything, but at least Jesus is a follower of God. They want to know who Jesus is. They, they want to even mimic his example and, and see how he gets truth. And, and Jesus' call and answer to them in verse 39 is this. Come and see. This first class of disciples, according to our first verses, tell us that, that Jesus' first disciples used to roll with John. So we know these were men seeking to learn more about their faith and beliefs in God. They were hoping to become students of God through Jesus and, and by what they see again and know and hear Jesus say. Later in his ministry, Jesus even says, the whole Bible along with life's beginning and end, all point to and are about me. If you want to know God, if you want answers about life and faith, if you want to learn what it is to be real, then follow me. Come and see. And that means you look to and look through Jesus at life and, and the Bible to learn everything you need to know about this life and faith. Some of you may have heard the term Christian world and life view. That means like putting on glasses and how you see and interpret the world. Everything you see. You never take your glasses off. 
Like, like getting a prescription, if you will, over all that you see. Jesus is calling us to get a prescription, a, a new prescription. He, Jesus, is the actual prescription in the lens that bends the light of his truth and handles the brokenness and the weakness of our own eyesight to see and know truth and truly how to walk, know how to walk and touch and live this life and what we see in the Bible. So, what does that mean? It may mean being a Bible nerd. Yeah. It may mean, and I think it should mean this more often than not. Now, we've had kind of a reactionary thing at Christ Central toward being Bible nerds. Some of you have been in campus ministries, and it's hurt you, and now you don't want to look like the Bible nerd. Some of us just, you know, you're the cool kid at school who just has the one book under his arm, you know? The one little notepad, you wonder how they learned anything? One little one subject notepad for all the classes coming to back. This may mean bringing your Bible and, yes, highlighter and going to Sunday school and getting one of those big study Bibles and use it. Like this one I brought up as an example with the gold gilded edges, right, right, and the moleskin journal. Yes. Y'all laughing, but that's how I started my journey. And I still use it today. I only use this because it fits. And some of y'all are new Christians or Christians who kind of lost their way, and you got these little Bibles. These little skinny things with no help in them, no cross-reference. You're just reading verses. Well, I just guess what that means. I'm just rolling through, and you wonder why you are still hungry spiritually. The Bible tells us here that these first disciples of Jesus wanted to know where he stayed. They wanted to go where he lived, to be where he would reveal himself, where they could sit down and, and, and learn more about him. And I believe those of us who are followers of Christ must ask the same question. Where? Where can I be to learn more about Jesus? Where can his teaching and leading through the scriptures be found? Where has he and is he revealing himself to us? The knowledge of him is found in his word and in his church and through his people. And Ephesians says he has given to the church teachers and, and your pastor and elders and others we have in this church that we've called to teach you. I remember when I first became a believer in eighth grade. Now, everyone doesn't have the same experience, so please. That's just my corny experience. Man, I couldn't get enough. I used to go, go to sleep reading those scriptures. I had the big study Bible. I, you know, I, I didn't know half of some of that stuff was going on in there, but I just was drawn to it. Church going on, I try to find a way to get there. Bible study going on, good. Sunday school, don't want to go to the children's one. That's too, I, I want some real scripture. I want some meat. 
I want some food for my soul. What's happened to us? Why aren't we hungry? If I were to tell you Jesus is over here, the knowledge of life and God is happening here, why wouldn't you be there? You can call and email your questions. It might take me a few days. Or or, or, use those elders. They train in the Bible. Email them questions. Go over to, come over to our house. Let's do lunch with each other. We will search the scriptures trusting Jesus to help us. Some of you need to get some help, a study partner. Make sure you are there and staying on track. Some of you need to step up, start some kind of D group or or Bible study group, D group. Woo! I know y'all don't want to hear about that, some of you from college. And teachers, not many of you, but some of you. You know, I I try my best to preach exegetically, you know, and kind of go through the scriptures. It's kind of hard because I'm just one of them preachers that like to preach, right? But, you know... I try so hard to be exegetical here, but I do it so you can see how I got what I am saying from the Scripture to show you how disciples or followers of Jesus should follow Jesus studying and learning about life and their faith and grow in their faith. But just like my preaching is not about getting up here and lecturing some exegetical point, trust me, on Mondays or Tuesdays when I put my sermon together, it reads like a commentary. I would love to stop there. That's one of my favorite things. Just, just kind of, this is a neat point, and that's a neat point. But it has no application, right? Just, just little nice nuggets of what Jesus is doing, little Greek words and this and that and cross-references. Sometimes I wish I could just have, a, a, you know, a, a, a chalkboard up here. I've seen some of the preachers do that. I don't do that. But it's not just being that, not just though no less, about, about being some Bible with a highlighter, little Moscow devotional book carrying, walking, talking, theological commentary and Bible answer woman or man. No respect, no disrespect to Hank. Those who know Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible answer man. But it is more than that, though again no less. Jesus calls people who follow and want to follow him to come under a new authority. Look at what and how, look at how he's presented in verse 41 to others to come and see and be his disciples. First, verse uh, 41. I'll start at 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. What they're saying is this, that this Jesus, as they have been taught and followed him for however long it's been, has been revealed to them to be the Messiah. Now, they might have used this distinction to tell Brother Simon because maybe they knew that Simon was the kind of brother who was looking for the Messiah, who was tired of being under the leadership and rule and authority of the man or or under the yoke of oppression, under the Roman government. Maybe he was, you know, poor or tired of seeing the poor get poor or or God's people suffering with sickness and demons and evil stuff. These disciples bring him to Jesus as the Messiah, which means a new authority of God for them to counter the world's evil and rule their lives. To call Jesus the Messiah is a claim that he was the promised deliverer of God's people from all the world's powers. 
physical and political and spiritual that Jesus simply put is humanity's and our help. Our help. The one who can bring the power against and reverse and make better all that ails us in this world, that he can put demons and evil people in their place, that, that he can be a champion for those suffering under the burden of sin and sinful systems, that he is the king who comes to save. So being a follower of Jesus means you look to him to be your help. You look to him to be your hope. Your shelter, your hero, your rescuer, your king. And, and, and follow Jesus like these disciples means to believe and act if Jesus is not only our help, but as our help to help this world. And many of us have been called and come to follow Jesus because he is promising to be that help and hope. Many of you, that's your story. You were drawn here because you need some help. You needed some hope outside of your world. Stuff was messed up, and you're looking for some kind of power out there, somebody to change things around and around and around and around like the song Blessed. You're looking for power. You're looking for a person. You're looking for a solution to something you can't fix. And a large number of you are here for that reason. You, you know, you didn't come so you could do the Bible study thing with the highlighter. Your life's a mess, and you're hoping this is some sort of spiritual hospital. And you came in here, and you found the one who is the Messiah. So followers of Jesus pray and come and are drawn to follow God for deliverance and healing and help for the messed up situations and dilemmas in their lives. But followers of Jesus are the soldiers in, in God's army of hope and love and healing for the world to fight the power because Jesus, the one who's your king, is God's power against all that is evil and fallen. That means that followers of Jesus just don't go and live and seek out where the hurt is, where the help is needed, and where the hope is low? No. Followers of Christ, look carefully what these disciples did. They bring and follow their Lord to where the hurt and where the help is needed and where the hope is low. They bring the hurt and the needs and the hopeless people and situations to the Lord to fix. Because Jesus is more than a lead freedom fighter and idealist. He's the world's ruler. Look at what Jesus does when he is introduced as a Messiah to, to Simon, verse 42. So Andrew brings, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter, him, and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, rock, right? Which means Peter. He renames him. And then the Bible says the next day in verse 43, it says, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now, it was the way back then to gather students. If you were a teacher starting your own school, it's normal. Lots of teachers all around Israel, all around Jerusalem, with their little group of disciples. They wanted to be in the Jesus school that you would ask people to follow you. 
But this follow me, as we will learn later throughout this book of John, is a powerful command out of the mouth of God, not asking, but a calling command and welcome to follow me. Jesus saying and declaring with his actions of renaming Peter and telling Philip to follow him, that following Jesus means coming as he calls and commands you under his rule. That being under Jesus' rule is about being used and designated and sent and called as he sees fit. It means submitting who you and how you live and what you do and who you may be you, and who you may have used to be to who he says you will be and will be used. Following Christ is about submission to whatever Jesus says and does. It's having a king, a commander, and someone who has complete authority over you. We got this thing twisted. Jesus is not a great addition to your life. You see these bumper stickers? He is not the co-pilot. He's not your sidekick. Jesus is not Tonto. Jesus is not your powerful horse you ride either. Jesus is not a conversation, uh, a piece you drop. Jesus is not, you know, I got my, my, you know, my work life, my, my fun life, and then Jesus is the guy who runs my spiritual life. He's the Messiah. Being a follower of Christ means he comes to rule your life, to be the king of your life. Not part of it, not one-third, not two-thirds, every single part when you're a follower of Christ, is submitted to his rule and what he says and how he says it should go. It's not an addition. It's not an app. Let me hit the Jesus app. He's life. He is the mainframe, right? We don't do mainframes anymore, I know. He is the cloud. There you go. Now, what's interesting thing about renaming Simon Cephas or Peter, which means rock, and later we'll come to find out that Jesus will talk about upon this rock, I'll build my church, which is twofold in its meaning, means that Peter will be a key building block to Jesus' church when he leads, but it also means this, that Jesus is going to build his church on the work that he does in Peter's life by the power and grace he gives Peter to be the rock, that on that he will build his church. I used to ride motocross a few years back. Yeah, motorcycles. <laughs> Kelly's clearing her throat because she didn't know whether I was going to come back alive with one arm, one leg. She didn't know. And I still got all that motocross equipment in the attic. I'm not putting it on Craigslist because I might do it again. But I used to go with a friend of mine here in Charlotte. He wanted me to hang out with him in approaching midlife crisis time. He wanted me to be his motocross buddy. Mind you, I've never ridden those bikes before. Problem, I couldn't be what he wanted or follow him because I didn't have a dirt bike. And I had no money for a dirt bike either. He bought two. And he had to pick up. I was his weekend dirt bike riding midlife crisis buddy. What's your name? Midlife crisis motorcycle riding buddy. 
Coming under Jesus' rule means that whatever and whoever he calls you to be, whether the rock or the water or the wood, he has the power under his rule in your life to make it happen. He's able to powerfully do and provide in the lives of people who come under his rule as he sees fit. Which also means with Jesus, a new ruler in life, nothing else can tell you who you are or define you or determine your destiny. Not your past, not who you used to be, not what the the statistics say will happen to you, not what you're faking yourself out to be, not any sin or problem or issue that you've done, not anything but Jesus looking at you and calling you his and calling you to follow him. Some come to Jesus because they just need a new life or a new whole name or a new hope. Your life has done and meant nothing or nothing with any sort of purpose to it. And Jesus speaks and he calls up to you a new name, a new way to go and a new reason to live, to be controlled and run and ruled by him. But that is not all of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This first class shows us more good news of what It means to be called by Jesus to follow. Jesus calls people to be righteous. Look with me again at verse, look at me at verse 45. So Philip stands up, follows Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, said of him, rather, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? (laughs) Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael said to him, answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. You can see the way this thing is ramped up and filling out a hope. He's first just rabbi, the teacher, right, the Bible teacher. Then he's the Messiah, the ruler, the king that's going to get everybody straight. And now of him, now he is him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets spoke of, which is to say that Jesus is the Holy One of Israel, the Holy God on earth, that he, Jesus, was purity, the holiest and most set apart, most, the, the bluest blood Israelite to ever walk the earth. He is who and what a true Jew, a righteous person is to be. What these declaring is, what, what Philip is saying is the righteousness of God in a person. And Nathaniel responds uh, uh, to, to this assertion with this. You're calling him the most righteous person in Israel. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel is disnazareth Nazareth because it was such a small country town. You, you would have to wonder, uh, you know, would the purest and holiest and most righteous come from there? Why not Jerusalem, a big city? We're all the smart Bible guys work out where the biggest and best churches and synagogues are. Nathaniel is skeptical that Jesus is not the righteous one who knows the law and lives the law perfectly, who will declare righteousness and justification to God's people. For him to say, we found the one who is the righteous Israelite in the Messiah, right? Out of Nazareth is like saying, hey, we found the next nominee for the president of the United States to lead the Democratic Party. He or she went to Oral Roberts University. 
Huh? Not Columbia or Harvard or Yale or Princeton, Oral Roberts to lead the Democratic Party and the United States? Huh? I'm not dissing Oral Roberts. I'm just trying to make a point. Or that we found the next leader of the hip hop movement from the suburbs of Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs> not from New York City or LA, huh? The party leaders of fans would be like she or he is not what? Pure blood enough. She is not right enough or righteous enough, giving enough to what we need to be about. But the Bible says that Jesus looks at Nathaniel and says this again in verse 47. Jesus said, I saw you, Nathaniel. Saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. By doing this, Jesus not not only showing his supernatural abilities to say, I am God, I saw you, but that I saw your heart. I saw you under the fig tree, which fig tree is symbolic of Israel's, the Jews' fruitfulness, is I saw your holy devotion to God. He saw Nathanael's private and pure devotion and declares it, and declares it as good. He justifies Nathaniel's righteousness. He declares him holy, if you will, based on what he saw, based on how he saw what he saw in Nathaniel's heart and actions and what that would mean for Nathaniel to follow him. Jesus calling people to follow to be declared righteous. He's calling people to be made right with God, to be justified before God, to be made and declared holy before God, something he alone can do because he is the righteousness of God for all and every kind of person. Followers of Jesus come to him to be declared and made clean, to have their lives forgiven, to have their sins cleansed, to have their lives be right before God, to do what can't be done in our own power. Being a follower of Jesus means that you live and believe believe as if Jesus forgives your sins and declares your righteousness, and that makes you holy. Not your good works, not your Bible study, not your good work in the community, but that Jesus' blood covers you and his supernatural work on the cross makes you stand pure and holy before God to be made righteous. Not only to be made righteous, but to desire righteousness. Nathaniel, a devoted, holy, purity kind of guy, is finding in Jesus what Jesus is drawing him toward and operating. A life of living and wanting to live righteous and holy before the Lord. That if you believe Jesus has declared you holy, that you would want to move and walk towards and in that holy way. You ever been built up to be something and that makes you want to become it more? You have somebody say, man, you cool, and then you start walking different? <laughs> I mean, that stuff happens automatically. I, I'm sorry. I have to, uh, sometimes all I have is my life. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be self-indulgent. But I am. Back in the breakdancing days, I was not a good pop locker, couldn't do that, like rerun. Wasn't a good ticker, couldn't do all that real good. My friend Hilliard could. But two things I could do. I could worm, but the best thing I could do, I could knee spin. 
I could do the knee spin. I remember at a party, the place cleared out. You know, the music start, get a circle, and get pushed out there. Man, and it ended in a knee spin. I was spinning about 60 seconds. 60 second knee spin. Doing the lookout, going around, doing the point. People sort of said, man, that's the knee right there. That's dumb. Here comes knee. Here comes the knee. Yeah. I haven't thought about putting on a shirt. The knee. Going to the party. The knee. You know, you had to wear the loose pants with the pleats so you could break dance. The knee. I was getting better, too. I would go home, man, in my den at home and practice the knee spin. Adding more seconds and more moves to it. I was believing what was declared about me by exercising and living in it. Followers of Jesus, believe your Jesus hype about what he declares about you. You know, we had that song, Blessed. Why do we sing blessed? We're not doing, again, as, as Kelly explained before we sang, we're not doing some prosperity gospel. We blessed? No. We're saying the scripture says we're blessed. And when you believe you're blessed, you don't live in condemning and sinful ways. That being a follower of Jesus is about living holy and wholly devoted to the Lord because he has declared and deemed and called you holy and devoted to the Lord. So it means to, his, to, to do his will, to, to do his commandments, to obeying the law. That is why Moses is mentioned in verse 45. Jesus is about obeying God. Jesus is about pleasing and being pleasing the holy God. Jesus is about leaving behind and saying no to sinful and self-centered and self-righteous and unseen but demonic living and lifestyle. Following Jesus then is about being called to leave behind and saying no to sinful and self-centered and self-righteous ways of living. But let's be careful what we're saying here. This is not about Jesus making his followers rule keepers. But God lovers. I loved being the guy with the best knee spin in the city. In the city. And it felt good to be going round and around. Wind blowing in your face. Guys, but especially the girls, woo, right? <laughs> Somebody trying to challenge me? I have... I got the cardboard in the yard. Somebody just got a new refrigerator. I'm ready. No. Let me get back to the scripture. So this is what being the one Moses and prophets were talking about when Nathaniel was being called to look for. Someone who loved God. Who loved what the holiness of God was about. Who was in love with God. Which would mean it is more than rule keeping. It is being in tune with the heart and desire of God we see coming through the rules and wanting and loving to do those things and not do what he doesn't want. Jesus is calling people to be tuned, to come to him to be retuned once and over and over to the heart and love of God. So followers want to know whether their actions and motives and appetites and desires behind those appetites are pleasing to God. 
If they want, and if not, they want them gone. They pray and seek help and accountability and confess their sins and ask Jesus to take the taste of the wrong things away and they run from sin and the Jesus and when they can't shake it, they go to God and Christ for mercy and grace. Which means we hang out together with each other to remind us, you holy, what's up with that? You know better than that. Do you know he changed your name? Did you know he called you? Did you know he had a, has a vision of you? He has a real declaration of you sitting under the fig tree, devoted to God. You belong to God. You are blessed of the Lord. Why are you acting like that? You can be forgiven. But following Jesus finally has an end to it, a goal to it. It is not to be smart about the Bible or theology to be healed. Only freedom fighting on a mission for Jesus, not just to be walking around acting holy for holy sake. Jesus is calling people to worship. Look at what he says here. Now remember these, these things keep ramping up, and Nathaniel says to Jesus this in verse 49. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you not just teacher, teacher, the one who they called you teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Son of God is one thing. And then Jesus comes back to what Nathaniel calls him the Son of God and then adds that he is the Son of Man. Nathaniel is saying, you are from heaven, for sure, and you are the one God has given authority, but, authority to. But Jesus is saying more. He is saying, as the Son of Man who is, in, who is the Son of God, that you disciples are being called into the presence of God to see and then declare the glory of God. This description Jesus gives about a setting to set it. It goes back to uh, Jacob when he saw the, the, Jacob's ladder. Well, you know, in Bethel, where he saw the angels of God going up and down, um, you know, they call it a ladder. I don't know if it was an actual ladder. But at that point, at that place, the glory of God touched the earth. And it was pointing. That scripture was pointing to what Jesus would be for people. God coming down in glory to touch the earth and to be in the presence of human beings and for human beings to be in that God presence. See, the disciples were thinking, we are finally going to grow in our faith, and yay, we are finally going to be able to stick it to the man in this world, and yeah, following Jesus means we're finally going to be holy and righteous Israelites, but Jesus saying to his followers, all of those things are simply preparing you and leading you and causing and calling you to be able to be in the presence of the Lord of God, to see and experience and be able to respond to the glory of God coming in and around and through you. And he asks, do you understand? You will be communing in the company of God like, a, like God's child or, or even a friend of God or a follower, a mere and sheer worshiper of God. When you read your Bible to study, you should have to walk away and you get yourself together cry at something or fall on the ground 
Y'all don't know some of y'all younger Christians about these older Christians. They acting all put together in church, especially, especially the Presbyterian ones, like myself. You read the word of God, yes, that's what it means. Man, let me tell you. I'm just going to let you in. Sometimes I'll be reading this word, and it says something about Jesus, and it connects either, not, not just my life, but your life, like I know your stories and issues, and I see how the word of God speaks to it, I go to the ground. I close the door to my office because sometimes I'll be rolling on that carpet. <laughs> Amazed, knocked out in the glory, in the presence of the Lord, like worshiping God. Oh, man. And sometimes I bother John. He can't get no word. I'm not going to, let me tell you what I heard from the word. Looking stupid. And silly for God, yeah. I mean, it's about worship. That when you read your word, it shouldn't just go up here. It should go here, and it should be around you like you're in the presence of God. You know, how can Presbyterians, of which I am, pride ourselves on being so learned and well-taught and trained, not be hopping the pews in the most evangelistic and charismatic? I don't understand that. You want to know? You want to know? Jesus is not about you knowing. He's about you experiencing and becoming a worshiper of God, losing yourself in the presence and glory of God, life-changing presence that can't make, can only make you say like Nathaniel says, you are the son of God. I remember when Kelly was praying for her job, and she got that job, and Sharice called her, Kelly, I just want to tell you things. Kelly, ooh, starts crying. Why? Because the prayer is being answered. The tears were worship. We think sometimes, you know, we, we were in the car thanking God. I'm almost wrecking, yelling and screaming. When I didn't turn my head and look at it, you know, I, I thank God when, when I don't turn my head and look at a rearview mirror when some sketchy clothed woman running by, went by. I was like, thank you, Lord. Even when you live holy and you get over and you do right, you're like, thank you, Lord. Sometimes I surprise myself. Why didn't I look? Why didn't I do wrong? Why didn't I let an evil thought in my heart? Because Jesus is at work. And I can worship him forever. You are good, Lord. And you know, sometimes you just have to tell somebody. See, you want to know what witnessing is about. Witnessing is about some plan where you get your tracks and you go on the beach. No! <laughs> or you hit the neighborhood. Yes, it's in that. It's in that. But it's not it, right? That's not it. That has to find a home. And, and, and witnessing and telling people Christ find its home in being worshipers, followers of Christ, as they behold the glory of God and worship and honor seeing and, and his being God and being with God, you can't help but tell somebody else. Not to get them right. Not because it is right, not because they believe that the leadership will look down on them if they don't tell enough people on the beach about Jesus, but because they are declaring the glory they saw. They're talking about the glory they stood in while they read and heard or prayed or suffered or were forgiven. Telling someone about the Lord for, for a follower should be no different than singing a song. 
a worship song or, or spouting off a fight song or a cheer, rather, or yelling or bragging in a sports bar about your team during the ESPN replays or, or Facebooking and sharing a picture of something that caught your heart. It's amazing to me. I don't look at a lot of Facebook. When I look at Facebook, people are posting all kinds of stuff. All interested. I mean, how many comments? 40. You know you got something good when you got 40 comments. <laughs> 40 comments and 50 likes. Woo! You got the Facebook gold standard if you got that. Why? Something got you. Something's got you here. A political issue? The other day, Linda Oxenberger posted a picture of, of Sophie in front of some donuts. Because <laughs> she had a hard day. Linda was late picking her up. She was sad. And she had, I mean, all these donuts. I was sad too, Linda. <laughs> I was sad. We post pictures because we love. We post pictures of what we love, what drives us. We tell the world what we feel. Have you been in the presence and glory of the Lord? You have if you're a follower of Christ. You will if you're a follower of Christ. Your Bible study, your scripture, your community group, your time at church is about seeing the angels of God descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. How can you hold it in? I have to work Clemson in my illustrations because I like them. I love them. See? Some of your teams win. Y'all could be going to a wedding. You're going to wear your jersey underneath. Maybe y'all not as bad as I am. You're going to find a way to work your team color in. And we start talking, but well, let me tell you, and people know their facts. And some of y'all don't know John from Matthew. I'm not trying to yell at y'all. It sounds like I'm yelling. I'm just excited. Because I believe it's true. And I want you to get it. God has come to earth in all his glory in Jesus Christ. He is to be found and to touch and to touch you. This is no joke. This is no academic thing. This is no feel-good message. This isn't let's go change the world kind of message. What will change the world is follow Christ who, who turn to the word and seek after his righteousness and worship. And here's the awesome thing for all you you think you are and should see and get in and become a follower of Christ. I promise. Only because Jesus promises. You will see greater things than even you see now. As you grow as a follower of Christ, he will show you even greater things than what you've already seen. To be close to him and God. Jesus puts people in the first class. Right up front. Close to worship. 
and know and hear about God. Some of you, Christ is calling. You hear it. You hear his word. Some of you followers, he's calling you to not just see him as teacher, not just see him as freedom fighter, not just see him as somebody who gives you the rules to live life so life can be better. He's calling you to worship. Forgiveness is here. Worship is here. For you, for the taking. I'm going to do something corny. It ain't corny. I'm tired of calling stuff corny. How about five of these? Really expensive study Bibles. See it with the gilded edges? Same one I use, the ESV study Bible. Let me tell you, man. This thing got some good notes in it. Maps, cross-references. I even bought five moleskin. Devotional books, like not devotional, little journals. I'm going to give these away to five people who will find me. I'm not going to be hiding the same way as Waldo. <laughs> After church, I'll be back when church lets out. Some of y'all need this. It's just a token. I'm serious. This costs a lot. I didn't ask the elders. I'm sorry. Now, which elder is going to stand up and say it was wrong to buy Bibles for God's people? <laughs> I'm sorry, I can only find the leather elders and, and deacons. Actually, the deacons who hold the money. I don't can find the leather. I tried to find the feather. I mean, the, the pleather, but I couldn't find the pleather. All they had was the leather, which means it was extremely expensive. But I bought five of them. You who are here, now you mature ones who got the ones at home, go back and get your study Bible and bring it, please. And those of you who really can afford it, you know you got a lot of money or enough money, go buy you one. But if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I really need one, I hadn't thought about buying one, but I could use one right now with the moleskin thing, and I'm committed, I want to follow Christ, I want to go to Bible study, I want to read, I want to know where Pastor Brown's getting all those ideas he gets when he preaches a sermon. I'm going to be ahead of that, brother. Five. Find me. I want to give it to you. This, this is a journey. This is the beginning for somebody in here. This may be a restart for somebody in here. If you take it, use it. Okay? One per household. I'm not giving it to the family of five. And if you need a Bible and we run out of five, tell me you need one. And I will get you one. You might not get this nice one, but you might, you will get one. I promise if you need it, you can't afford it, I'll buy you one of the nice ones. If you can't afford it, we run out. Y'all hear me? I will buy it. Christ Central will buy it. The deacons and the elders of the church will buy it. 